Welcome to Becoming Human, and today we're going to take a break from our normal conversation. A lot of podcasts do interviews, and it's normal because it's kind of key to building an audience. So you're supposed to interview the top names that you can get, and they're usually famous just for being famous, or they're trying to promote some product or something. But on this show, I'd like to think that the interviews are integral to our process because they help us pay attention to what I think is the most accessible way to truly find our way through life by seeing and hearing the lives who are on the same journey. So interviewing real people in real places with real stories that we can hear and see and ultimately learn from, that's something I enjoy doing. And I do think that the answers to becoming human are most accessible in the life of these real yet ordinary humans like you and me. It's usually overlooked. You know, we just assume that these people exist and these average normal places, but I found that they embody the raw depth of being human most. We just have to look for it and we just have to listen. And we begin to discover beautiful depths that often just sit right in front of us. And so in these supposedly common stories, that are still full of nuance and depth and rich vitality sitting under the surface, we can expose ourselves to what is real. And and it helps us see too. So the invitation here is, is to take this story and transpose it into your story. Go far enough into their story that you find yourself and go far enough into yourself that you find their story. How do we do humanity better? The answer might just be found in stories such as these. So I welcome you to a live interview that I recently had with Morgan Hudick. I've known Morgan for several years, and and if you can find her on social media, I think I even mentioned this during the interview, you'll see why she's such a fascinating person. And the question before us is what, what causes a person to sign up for an Ironman? And for Morgan, she's going to tell you about an incredibly complicated yet difficult process that she had to endure that led her to some major changes and major loss and some deep pain. But Morgan's story is an example of taking deep pain and turning it into deep love. She's an extrovert and I often find her presence incredibly intimidating. But it's also so wise and it's so welcoming and it it can hold the deepest parts of the human experience. And I found that her life has become a medium for creating belonging and healing and hope and connection and beauty in the world around her. She makes the world feel more at home, but she first had to learn how to be home with herself. And so how did, how did Morgan come to embody such a presence? What, what does a real kind of life look like? And how can we, in, in a dark and difficult and painful world, learn to do the same? That's what I hope we get into through this interview. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to everyone who supports the, the work that I try to do. Feel free if you're willing to, to, to share this around with people who you think could benefit from Morgan's story as well. And as always, if you're willing to support the show, you can do that on coffee. It's ko-fi.com slash becoming human. So let's get into it. Let's learn. Let's grow. 
and let's become more human by paying attention to the powerful stories all around us. The place that I want to start is that you're not, I am not from here. So here we are in Evergreen. I'm not from here. Neither are you. A lot of the people that I meet, uh, y'all were born and raised here. You remember who lived in what houses back when you were a child. I don't have that. Um, And and one of the things you expressed to me, Quinn doesn't want us to have lights. That's okay. Um, One of the things you... I look better with no lights. (laughs) (laughs) You expressed that you had a similar experience to me, which was learning how to belong here. Yes. So, but let's just start with, um, where are you from? So I grew up in Waterville and uh, also a small town. And then once I met my husband, I met everyone out here. And kind of how we talked about it, it was hard coming to a small community. Everybody knows each other. Everybody knows each other's story. Everybody has their own little click in that. And I felt like, especially in your 20s, it's a little hard going to a party, not knowing people, and kind of just standing there. I'm very outgoing. Um, I love to talk to people. I love to meet people. And I realize a lot of people aren't like me. And I just kind of stand there. And you feel out of place a little bit, which is uncomfortable. Um, So it was different, for sure. Uh, The the way that I described my experience with you was that you're the person that when I'm at some sort of event or, or party or gathering, you're the person who makes me feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it's, That's I, my am, goal. I am such an introvert mm-hmm. and you're just like, Hey, so what's going on? And, and I want to actually talk about what's really going on because this, this is going to be really exciting. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, Morgan, you're making, I, I'm threatened. Yeah. I love to see people squirm. <laughs> No, but one thing that you described there, maybe this made it more difficult, is because your your husband is from here mm-hmm. and did know everyone. I I showed up blank slate, don't know anybody, um, but you still had this like intermediary connection with everyone, but you weren't in on that. Um, so did that like help or hinder? No, I feel like. Kind of like you said, I, I try to go up if somebody's not talking. I know how that feels. Hmm. And you're just kind of sitting there. And to be honest, I don't care if I make you uncomfortable. I'm just going to come up and talk to you and oh, make no, you talk to me. And that's me. okay. Like, I appreciate it. Um, but I feel like I don't want people to sit there and feel yeah. uncomfortable and awkward. I feel I, I just like to know people and know their story and get to know everyone's got something. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, and, and I will say, like, you bring that out in a really healthy way. I remember sitting at the Simons once, and, like, on the grass, just sitting there avoiding people. Uh-huh. I noticed that. And you, and, and it was almost like it was on your radar. Mm-hmm. And, and you were, like, magnetized to it. And it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interact with yep. this. I kind of scope out who's the most awkward right now. I'm going to go get them. I'm kidding. All right, so if, if we're I'm kidding. I was, I was going to make you go like, all right, so in the room, <laughs> who's, who's the person you're going to next? Um, no, but were you like that growing up? I was. Yeah, I, um, when we spoke, I've 
always been just kind of out there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom has always said that I scare her because I, in a sense, like don't really care where she'll say at one time in specific, I had a hair dyeing cap on and she had poked the holes out, you know, like the old school cap. And she said something about picking up pizza. And I said, well, I'll go. And she's like, you're not going wearing that. I said, yeah, I am. She's like, I dare you. I'm like, okay. So she took me and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. You're serious. And I just. Well, okay, where does that come from? Because you, you're, you're even like showing yeah. that you know that that's not normal behavior for certain yeah. people. Yeah. But, but it's also something you're willing to go like, there's no reason that this should be abnormal. Yeah. It's fine. Where, why, why do you think that way? Um, I guess I am comfortable with myself in a sense. And I feel like that's why I don't mind going up to people because I'll talk to you. And if you feel uncomfortable, you can let me know that. If you don't like me, you, you know what I mean? I just feel like if that makes sense, it's okay yeah. if I go up to somebody and I can feel like, hey, they really don't want to talk, I'll back off. But I just, I don't know. There, there's something about uh, like being divested of any interest in the interaction. And one thing I have noticed with you is like you don't need anything from the situation or the purpose, the person. You're you're willing to just go like, so here I am, and here's what I am like, and if and that's what you're saying. And if you're like, please go away, okay. Like a, th- there's no outcome that you need to happen in order for you to feel good about yourself because that already exists. Yeah. And that's just a very, like I think most people would agree, it's a very different way mm-hmm. to. Uh, journey through life. I'm a pretty weird person. I'm okay with that. <laughs> now, uh, w- one of the outcomes that I, or the results, I should say, that, that I've noticed that comes from this is connection with people then is still really important. Mm-hmm. And that's partly, okay, you're extroverted, get that. But also, I wonder if because you're so content with yourself, that it allows you to very authentically interact with others. And you do that in a way like, you inexplicably care about other people. Mm -hmm. Now, is this something that, like this was a big part of your childhood as well? I mean, I feel like my parents always instilled, you know, you talk to everybody, no, you know, you're never above anybody. You're not, you know, my mother-in-law and I have had this conversation that she raised her children the same, you know, the janitor is the same as the president. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They were all somebody. And I just like to get to know everybody on that. And I was talking to Stephanie the one day and, you know, we were kind of talking about, we have so many friends, but who we really let in is different than, you know, you can be friends with so many people, but you have this core group, which are here with me, which I appreciate (laughs) that really truly can be like in your circle, you know what I mean? So they can really see everything. And I feel like, although you can show yourself to everybody, you they get a different side of you, I feel like, mm. as well. If that even makes sense. Yeah, 
I mean, you're talking about vulnerability. And I think you have this natural propensity to allow yourself to be vulnerable. It's not always reciprocated, Mm -hmm. but it seems like there's like layers for you where there's certain people where it's like, you just want to make this person feel better today or make them feel comfortable or be a good voice of affirmation to them. Mm -hmm. But there's other people with whom there's almost this expectation of like, Hey, no, 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 we're not going to put walls up here. This, this is how we're going to function. And maybe that's what you mean by like this, this more inner circle. There's a group of people with whom like nothing is off the table. Things get confronted and those relationships seem to be your healthiest. Yes. And I feel like I've always really strived to be somebody who, when you walk away, I don't want them to be like, oh, hey, they're going to go talk about me. If like, I want somebody to feel comfortable coming to me, saying something, knowing that, hey, she's not going to go say something, you know, and I feel like I've learned that, let people down, I guess, at a young age and felt that pain of, Hmm. gosh, I can see the hurt that I caused in somebody. Please don't tell somebody this. And, you know, you're in seventh or eighth grade and it's, oh, guess what? You know, and I learned that at a young age and I feel like I never want to be somebody like that for anybody. But like with gossip, usually, usually people do that because they're hiding their own garbage, their own junk. I think middle school is a fair place to say that we all are carrying around a lot of junk that we don't know what to do with. And it's a very mysterious, uncertain world. But the, the thing that I've, I've noticed with you is uh, like, I've, I've never felt that way with you where, oh, she's going to go talk about this or, or use this information, this vulnerable information to like destroy me. Or, or I've not seen that happen with, with other folks with whom you're really connected. Uh, and, and it almost, that natural propensity for us to need to talk about others in a way to elevate the self. Well, you, you've already said, I'm, I'm not worried about elevating the self at this point. And so it's almost like, so that's just not an option. It, it doesn't matter to you. But th- like there's some people, that's really important in yeah. being able to talk about other people, getting as much information about everything that's going on so that way I can kind of manipulate things, have an agenda. It, it, that just doesn't seem to come off as your personality at all. Well, and I think and that's what we talked about. I struggled coming here because I feel like I am sometimes too opinionated and I shouldn't say stuff, and I've learned that. And it's like just me saying my opinion was, oh, she's talking. You know, she's talking about you. She's how I just am saying how I feel, which I feel like everyone should have their own opinion. And I've kind of learned over the years, just don't even say anything Yeah. if you don't need to. Now, um, with, with the people that are in your life, do you feel like you have inspired them to embrace that way of being as well? I hope I do. Do you guys feel like she has uh, embraced that way of being in a way that's inspired you to be more vulnerable, to be more transparent to that kind of thing? Or no? Thanks. I mean, I, I, cause I, I, I don't know you incredibly well and I have like, well, I, I feel like I can tell this person anything yeah. right now. Thank and you. I don't know what that is, but, uh, like when you talk about vulnerability to be vulnerable, you have to make yourself powerless. Like you're handing yourself other over to this person, trusting that they're not going to harm you. Yeah. And I, I, I just, it almost feels like it takes someone to show that in, other for, in order for other people to be willing to go 
to go there with them. Um, and not only like have you shown that, but you've also practiced it to such an extent that I'm, I'm wondering if like, hey, I'll take this first step and show you all how, how we can do this in a healthy way. That just seems part of your presence that you give off. There, how old are you? 37. 37. Yes. You seem to have this presence that's, uh, this isn't supposed to be mean, like old, weathered, wise. And I'm trying to figure out, like, is that yeah. how you were raised? Is that because of experiences growing up? I feel like kind of how we spoke, it, I feel like I have always had that, but I feel like af more so after my surgery yeah. that I first went through, it really kind of hit me that I could take that and run with it a little bit more. Yeah. I, there's, and I imagine there's a lot of that. Because the other thing I notice about you is that your connection to people is really important. And it's interesting that the first thing you notice, I mean, I, I did too, the, the lack of connection here for me, you notice that, but like that seems to be, if there's one thing you do have an agenda for, it's that you're connected to people. And I know you found that a lot in your, your family, but also in, in the group of people who have become that inner circle out here. Um, and that connections, I don't, I don't want to make a claim that it results from uh, a disconnection elsewhere in life, but I don't know. You can just tell that that is a goal of yours. That's your intention when you walk in the room. I do feel like it's a little bit of a disconnect. I feel like my mom isn't in town, so I don't really see her or talk to her as much. So my mother-in-law here has claimed me as her own, which I appreciate that. So she kind of takes over the mother role for me, Yeah, I feel like. So I feel like the girls here as well, that's my family. So I kind of take that in and again, on that part that, you know, I have a lot of friends, but I don't consider these friends. I consider them like that's my family. Hmm. So if you, you know, it's just different in a sense that you can have this abundance of people in your life, but I don't know, they're my family. The other thing that I noticed though, with your relationships too, and maybe this deals with more of that outer circle is again, and this kind of comes back to like that presence that you have. And, and I am trying to say like, I don't think that's all, Hey, you're an extrovert. So therefore you are super connected to people and you care deeply about them. And I, I, it's beyond extrovert. And I do think that comes from this disposition that you carry. And with that, I don't know if this is language you would use, but you have like a really strong sense of justice. So there's something about your presence, and this is me kind of psychoanalyzing you, I apologize. There's something about your presence that is, you, you yearn for people to feel safe, to feel connected, to have deep relationships, very real relationships. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you do that without an agenda and, and all of this, that sort of divestment of interest. But you also have a really strong appeal for justice. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a different way to say that. You, you will stand up for a situation where harm is being done. 
or you you will step into something to make sure that it gets made right if you have to. I try to, but I usually make it wrong a lot of the times by doing that. Make it worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, or certain, certain people will interpret that as worse. Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder if that's actually the same reason as why you, you come up to a person in a group who you're going like, that person seems the most uncomfortable. I'm going to try to give them a safe space right now. I wonder if it's more than just extroversion, but also more than just um, wanting to be connected to people. I wonder if you're the way in which you interact with others is this deep sense of justice, this deep sense of almost like idealism where you want to see things be good. Mm-hmm. And you also don't do that with your own like malicious intent involved. But I say that because you're not just friends with everybody. Like you're willing to confront people when they need to be confronted. And sometimes maybe those are your inner circle, your, your, your deepest family and friends. Um, but I, I've seen you do that publicly to some degree as well, where um, maybe even somebody you don't know is you'll stop that. If, even if you have to put yourself out there in order for harm to be avoided. Is, I don't, is that, are you going like, yeah, no, that's there. Yeah, um, I agree. But do you, do you think those things are connected at all? If you think they are. What's there? Uh, yes, we were talking about shade this morning. That you're very shady. Shady, yeah. And that doesn't make any sense unless you were here at Zen. I, yeah. That's a good Morgan. Yeah, so like. Oh, I thought you meant I'm shady, like I'm creepy or something. Like, I tried like, to redefine shade this morning. Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Here, do you want a mic? I can get another one. <laughs> but it is. It's she like at the moments you don't even realize you need it. Sometimes she gives you the shade. Yeah. Whatever you need it from. There's there's this line of Thank you. I delight to sit in their shade. And there's something about like having the people in your life who provide a, a sense of safety. A sense of being able to be vulnerable, but also just to be at home. Um, so I think, yeah, that is a really good way to describe that. Um, but this also means like there's some people that you don't love. Mm-hmm. So how do you, as an extrovert who wants to be connected with, I just see this connection and justice components of your life in conflict sometimes. Yeah, that's a struggle for me. So how do you handle that if you're if you're willing to share um, about that? I have a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. I have a constant battle of like say something, don't say something, say something, don't say something. And just kind of I feel like again after my surgery, it was kind of just like whatever. Yeah. You know, I feel like that kind of changed uh you can't change people. People are going to be the way they are and kind of shed a new, oh well. Would you describe yourself as someone who is highly empathic, that you have a lot of empathy? Yes. And we've talked about that, and I feel like I struggle with that, um, where 
you feel so much for so many people. And that's a struggle of mine. I feel like that it's a great thing. You have a, you know, a big heart, but then you, you know, something goes wrong. You feel for this person, you hurt for this person. And then in our family recently, we've had obviously a lot going on and it's like, there's so many people you hurt for. Mm. And then you try to take care of yourself on that and your family and friends and it's, it weighs, yeah. it's heavy. Yeah. And I'm trying to learn to deal with that, unfortunately, but um, I've, it's brought out new feelings that I feel like I've never really felt before. And I've like what? shared like an anxiety, I oh, guess yeah. I would say. Hmm. Um, you know, I feel like I deal with stress pretty well. I deal with whatever life throws at me. It's like, mm -hmm. it's gonna come no matter what, everyone has to deal with this. But it, when it hits you as this person that like, you care so much about people, it's like, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you put yourself in there with all these other people that you're trying to hurt for hmm. as well? And, and, and some, sometimes those people that you're hurting for can also cause pain to you. Sometimes you'll do that at your own neglect. Like I, I, I wonder as somebody who's not like that, mm -hmm. like I almost want to be like empathy. Tell me what that's like. Yeah. But somebody who is constantly car carrying the weight of the world around them. Yeah. Like does that happen at your own expense? Yeah. And I do it to myself and I know that, yeah. but I don't know how to change that. I, want, I wonder too, if it's like, if it's a package deal of you, you, you might not be able to do both. Yeah. You might not be able to care deeply for the world and connect deeply for the world and be completely like on your own independent from that. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder if it, it kind of comes together in a way. Um, but again, like the real thing is like, where, where does this come from? It's not like you sat down at like 21 and went through some sort of life course training where you're like, okay, yeah, I'm, this is the kind of person I'm going to be. And look, I'm executing it really well, flawlessly. That didn't happen. No, I don't know. It's definitely a journey. Yeah. Um, you don't know where it came from. So one of the things that I, hypothesis one for the, today, the people that I know who have suffered the, the most are the people who know how to interact with the suffering of the world the best. I don't know if you would describe your journey and your story as one of suffering, but I think, I think there is a lot of it there. Yeah, and how we, can I touch on my surgeries? Is I that think, okay? I, think. I say this because Yes, I want, I want you to go there. And I'm, I'm, I almost want to set this up because I think mm -hmm. sometimes people might hear that part of your story, like what, what you're about to talk about, and not equate it with suffering. But I, as I heard you talk about this part of your life, this might be one of the most difficult forms of suffering to go through. And I'm, I'm wondering, from my perspective, looking at you of going, 
is are all of these things that we're seeing sort of th- this this contentment with your own pre- presence, your your absolute compassion for other people, your your desire for justice and connection and all of this, is this actually a result of loss? And I wonder if those are yeah. those are connected in a way. And I don't mean to make it all about no. that because this is a huge conversation. But no, absolutely, and that's kind of what when we touched on how I got into the triathlon journey. Yes. That was from my loss. You know, I felt like, and that kind of what fueled my fire. I think uh, people who just know you publicly would be like, oh, Morgan Hudick, like super athlete, loves to do these big things, which is what I thought. And then I heard you say like, I hate it. And I was like, wait, what? Why are you doing this? And and it's not for uh, the the exercise or endurance itself. Yeah. It, it's deeply connected. To this. So so tell us yeah. tell us about that part of your story. So I had my aunt on my dad's side found out that she had a very aggressive ovarian cancer, which is linked to the BRCA gene, which is. Um, short for the BR is the breast and the CA for the BRCA is cancer. So short for breast cancer. And I thought originally the breast cancer gene specifically caused the cancer in your body, which I learned it's more the BRCA gene we all, or the BRCA we all have. So it's a tumor suppressor in your body that when we have DNA in our body that's damaged, this actual BRCA will go in and repair some of that damage. So in my family, we found out through my aunt's ovarian cancer that we carry a mutation for our BRCA gene. So that means our DNA is not going to repair the way it should. So we are about 70 and take these numbers lately it's on a scale but about 70 percent more likely to inherit breast cancer and about 30 to 40 percent more likely to inherit the ovarian cancer so statistically pretty high numbers and you find that out through blood test so after she had found this out Um, She encouraged all of us to get tested. My dad also carries the gene, um, who recently had prostate cancer from the gene. So I had tested positive for it, and I was about 29 or 30 when I found out. And my husband and I talked, and I said, if, in fact, I have this gene, I'm going to take off my breasts. I already know that. I'm going to do a hysterectomy. I already know that. It's not a conversation. Are you okay? How do you feel about this? And he was super supportive of it, which made the decision way easier. Um, So I decided, all right, I'm 30 years old. I'm probably, I'll wait a little bit. I'm so young. And then one of my good friends from growing up, it was my stepsister's best friend, She also carries the gene, and she called me and said, I just found out I have a triple negative breast cancer, which is very aggressive, and when you get these cancers when you're younger, the hormones 
really attach to it and become even more aggressive. So it's a scary thing. So watching her lose her hair and shave her head and go through all that, I thought she's a year younger than I am. Why am I going to wait? So I decided with my family and my husband, I just want to remove my breasts. So I did that. And what age were you when you did that? So I was, I want to say 31. And it was a process. And as we talked about, it was, uh, it was hard. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't expecting that. And I wonder if, because the, the decision itself seems so obvious, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, no, this is exactly what I need to do. Yep. I wonder if maybe we hearing the story might diminish the difficulty of that then. Like, because this makes so much sense, especially like somebody younger than you experiences the worst of that. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's what you're going to do. And we might, we might lose focus of like, oh no, 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 that's still one of, one of the hardest things to experience as a human being. And, and that's kind of what I hear when you talk about it is you have this such a, again, this strong presence. And I don't think we realize that behind all of that strength, it's not like you're hiding something, but it comes from unbelievable pain. Yeah. That you have been willing to stare in the face and interact with. But it doesn't mean that your life has been this, this smooth. Like, look how easy this decision is. Yeah. I, I almost find it... Um, uh, as an affirmation to go, oh no, wow, you, you went into the depths of hell with this decision and you allowed it to affect you. When I think my hard part was it wasn't a decision at first, it was automatically I'm going to do it. Right. There was no question. There was no anything. So as soon as I heard Brent and I had, you know, a conversation and I remember just bawling and crying and he just gave me a hug and he's like, let's do what we got to do. You know, let's figure it out. So I think because I was so adamant about this is what I'm going to do, it didn't hit me really until afterwards. And then it was kind of like, holy shit, what did I just do? You know, and it was, um, I'm not a girly girl. Obviously I'm not into appearance as much. Um, but, you know, sorry for all the guys, but, you know, they said, you once we take this, you have 10% of your breast tissue left. So we're basically taking everything out. We have to leave 10% or else there will be necrosis, which is tissue death around your breast. So mm-hmm. we have to leave this amount, and then it'll take your risk from a 70% to a 2%. Wow. So once these are out, you won't have any feeling. Um, which is hard to hear as a woman. I feel like to be transparent sexually, that's a little different, right? It's kind of like, okay, you don't have any feeling. Um, They're going to look different. They're going to feel different. So I research and research and and what can I find that people have done? What what can I read about what is, what's it going to feel like? What is this going to look like, you know? And it, 
it, it was hard to accept, you know, listening to everything. You're not allowed to open the refrigerator. You're not allowed to hold anything over two pounds. And at that point, I really was, I love to lift weights. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, after six weeks, you're allowed to lift a soup can. Yeah. Really a soup can. So I feel like as all women in here, I'm sure not to label everybody, but we would rather fall on a sword than ask for help, right? We're terrible at asking for help. And that was a big struggle for me because I feel like I don't want help, but I need help. Mm -hmm. And how do I ask for that? How do I go about that? So I feel like a lot of what I learned too was maybe from that with people dropping off meals. I don't want a meal. Like, I don't care. This little lady right here. I don't, you know, just everything that's gone on with the family. I don't need food. It's fine. And I did. You know what I mean? And it, I didn't, I couldn't really make food. And this lady, this lady, you don't understand how that make like nobody understands how that feels when it's like I don't want you to do that I don't want but they do it anyway so I've kind of learned to on that aspect of myself push harder and instead of saying like hey can I bring you food it's changed me to hey I'm bringing you food and I don't if you don't want it throw it out I don't care if I don't care to talk to you, I don't care to see you, I'm gonna drop it on your doorstep, throw it out if you don't want it, but I'm not gonna ask anymore because me, I'm not gonna say, yes, I do want you to make me food. That's just me, and that's a lot of women. You don't, we don't ask for that. That's so interesting to hear you say that. Uh, like the person who is willing to carry the weight of the world for everyone else, when you needed your weight carried, it, it almost broke you in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It did. And that was hard. And that's kind of where we talked about my, like, I was sobbing in my husband's arm the one day. And I'm just like, I don't, how do you explain what I'm feeling? I'm feeling weird and my body looks weird. And that mentally I feel weird. And I wasn't expecting, I was expecting the physical change. I wasn't expecting the mental change. Everything's different. I, my, I look like a linebacker. I look like Pamela Anderson. I look just weird, right? So mentally, it was more than what I thought I was going to go through. So when he was hugging me and I'm sobbing, I probably couldn't even understand, or he couldn't understand what I was saying. I instantly was like, I want to do a triathlon, which I have no idea where that came from at all. I honestly don't. And he's like, okay. And he kind of starts laughing. And then he was like, oh, shit, she's serious. <laughs> okay. okay. And bless his heart, he's trying to be so supportive. But he's like, um, babe, do you know how to swim? And I was like, I know. I, Yeah, I used to swim when I was 10. And he's like. <laughs> Okay, um, but you don't own a bicycle, so, and I'm like, it's fine, I'll buy one. And he's like, okay, but you hate to run. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll try it. So I decided to sign up for a sprint triathlon in Sylvania, 
and I did it with a friend and she struggled a little bit so I stayed with her and then I felt great when I finished but I expressed to Tyler that I felt like whatever I went through mentally I guess with my surgery it was more than that so it was like I need something bigger like my pain I guess was bigger my emotional distress I guess was bigger than that so I decided to sign up for a bigger triathlon went all the way I went all the way um yeah so that's when I signed up for my first half Ironman so, so that's how I signed up for my first okay. uh, half yes. Ironman so yeah, that was and that's but here, here's the thing most of the people there most of the people who are doing that I, yeah. I remember you mentioning this like yeah. There's some deep grief happening. Yeah. So I went through my first half Ironman. It was a 1.2 mile swim, a 56, 57 mile bike ride, 56, and then a 13 mile run. So I still, to the, I hate running. I feel like I can't breathe. I feel like whatever, but I'm going to do it. So Brent drove me down to North Carolina, and it was 90 degrees, and it rained the night before, monsooned, our power went out in our hotel, so it was humid as could be the next day. And I got in the water, and there was about 200 people around me, and I thought, all right, I'm going to do this. I got this. So I start kind of like in the front of the pack and I start swimming and people are swimming over top of me. People are kicking me. People are punching me. And I'm like, <laughs> and I had to swim to the side. And I, I think I just started like crying. I was like, what, what am I doing right now? Who do I think I am doing this? I can't do this. So I just kind of doggy paddled and tried to do whatever I could for a while yeah. and thought to myself, all right, your husband just drove you eight hours to be here. Get your ass moving, sister. So I laid on my back and just kind of backstroked a little bit until I could catch my breath. And then I finished that. I got on my bike and it was hilly and it was hot and it was horrible. And the run, I felt like my feet were burning off. It was the, one of the worst days of my life. And I thought, I'm never, ever, ever doing this again. So I got to the finish line, and I felt blah. You know, I feel like I wanted to feel this sense of accomplishment. I wanted to get that piece of me that I lost, the piece of me that wasn't there. I wanted to get that back. And... I was mad at myself because I didn't train the way I should. I was mad at myself because it was not a good day. And I thought I was going to cross this finish line and feel amazing. And I was going to, oh my gosh, you know, great, good job. And I didn't feel that. Yeah. And that was hard for me. It's almost like, like you're having this existential crisis. And I, I, that's not to downplay like the physical suffering that you were enduring as well. Yeah. But there's like this existential part of your life that you're trying to understand. And this is where it, this seems like it's 
it's more difficult than than a death because it's it's like this death and it's still alive and it's still with you and you're trying to figure out what exactly is happening to me who am i now and it's almost like you you went i'm going to go as far into the pain as i can mm -hmm. And the, the Iron Man became like this physical representation of what was happening inside of you. Yeah, and I think that was like my outlet of I don't have control over my body right now. And we all feel like we do, right? Like we, maybe unless we're sick or something, that our body's our body. We yeah. can control it. At that point, I felt I've lost like a piece of myself. You know, and how do I get that back? How do I get this lost piece of me? And I feel not, I don't feel myself. And I wasn't expecting that. So I was caught off guard, which irritated me. And I felt like what, what would get this piece back? And it's almost like the Iron Man was a way for you to mourn. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we would think of it like that because we, like you're saying about the finish line, we yeah. go, you do an Ironman to achieve something. Mm -hmm. And and you're going, no, go putting myself through this was actually a way to grieve. Yeah, and I feel like it is a grieving process, but I feel like, in a sense, it's easier than grief because mm. you're using this as an outlet for your pain, I guess, and then that pain... Thank you. That pain's, that's what I've realized with it. That pain goes away. And I think I've talked to a couple of my friends about that. It's like when you've experienced something painful, I thought, talked to Haley about this. She's like, I could never do that. I could never do that. When you, ex when you experience something like that, your physical pain for that day, it's going to go. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm going to be hurt. I know that. I'm going to wake up in three days. I'm going to start feeling better. But when you have something that's holding on to you and some kind of grief hmm. that you don't even really understand, like, why am I grieving? That's not going to, you're not going to wake up and it's going to go away. Right. So I feel like that physical pain is, it, it suffices for a little bit. And it's there and it's a challenge. And to me, it was more of a challenge. Like, how can I get my body back? How can I prove to myself that this is, I'm in control of myself again? And yet you cross the finish line and it's just another day and you have to keep going. And that's where it feels like the Iron Man was almost a microcosm of everything that was going on. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm actually wondering if the reason you have this kind of presence in the world is because you've learned to be home with yourself, kind of like what you're saying about shade. When, when you learn to be at home with yourself, you're able to make everyone else feel more at home too. And I don't know that people look at you and go, that's a person who has struggled to figure out who they are but you have very intentionally done this work within yourself. And it's almost like you're just kind of radiating that out to anybody who's willing to kind of come under your cover. 
feel like I agree with that. I feel like that's where I struggle, though, with, you know, with after losing a piece of myself, losing my woman parts, all that. It's yeah. when you feel like you know who you are, when you feel like, okay, this is me, this is great. When you have to rethink or you're confused or any of that, that's when it's like a more of a mental part, if that makes sense. But there's, there's two kind of approaches to grief. There's, there's what's called like reactive grieving, which is where you try to move around the grief, right? And then there's proactive grieving, which is confronting what has happened so that you can move through it. So it's a different moving around versus moving through. And the thing that happens when, you know, this is, this is all conversation on conflict too. You had a conflict, you, it caused grief, you moved through it proactively, and that always leads to some sort of transformation on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. and, and I think on one hand, it's, it's a lot to just go like, celebrate that, because most of the world does not approach their lives in that way. But then the other thing that you've done is go, how do I allow this transformation to impact other people? Like, let's not let it stop with me. Yeah. And, and it's almost, and, and, you know, this is actually, this is one of the steps of grief is support. I wonder if you have looked around at a world that is grieving and suffering and lonely and sad and in darkness and have gone, I am going to help other people endure what I have been enduring myself. I wonder if that's how simple this is. You're just a good person. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I want people to feel, in a sense, like what I felt. You know, it was just like, you do feel accomplished and feel great. And we've talked about that, where it's like, you you can do so much more than you think. Yeah. Like, in a hundred worlds, five years ago, I would be like, you are absolutely insane crazy if you think I'm going to run 26 miles. Yeah. Insane no way and then to add your two mile swim and a 112 mile bike on top of that absolutely not how did I do it anybody can do it you know what I mean like the, I, I had a reason to do it I had a hurt I had a pain mm. and we've talked about that most of these people that do these things have they're on a weight loss journey. They're on uh, some kind of journey for something. And that's what fuels you. It's not your body. Yes, you have to train, you know, a little bit. Yes, you have to do this. But there's something inside of you that keeps you going and has that fire. This last one that I did, you know, it was in honor of my father-in-law. And it just, yeah. the whole time it was, I mean, I hated it almost every minute, but it was just like that thought was in my head for so many hours. I mean, it took me 16 hours to finish it and be like, how'd you do it? And it's like, you just do it. Yeah. You don't, I mean, I don't, you just keep going. And if you have something in there that's fueling that, and I told you that you could go out and do it. It's not, I'm not some amazing athlete. I'm not somebody who's extra extraordinary. Like Literally, if you look at yourself and say, hey, I can't even run five miles. Yes, you can. Yeah. Like that, yes, you can. You know, and that's why I always try to tell people, you think you can't do stuff. And it's like, there is 
you know, I hate the line, you can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. You know, like I can't be a professional NHL hockey player. I know that. But can I do this physical activity? If you think for a second you can do it, you can. And it's also having that why. Yeah. And that's one of the things that gets lost on people is a lot of times suffering and grief, what it does is it removes their why, right? So there's nothing that's now compelling you or catalyzing you to move in any particular direction at all. It, it's, that's why suffering is always paralyzing because that's a loss. And, and that, just trying to put this together of like what you did was you went, I still am figuring out this why. I'm still figuring out this suffering and this loss and so you gave yourself something. It's almost like if I can do this, mm-hmm. then I can continue on my journey too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, I don't know if I shared this with you, but you, you remind me of a quote by uh, Viktor Frankl, who was in uh, Auschwitz, in the concentration camp. And he has this line where he says, those with a why to live can endure almost any how. And you seem, 100%. you seem like, the world through you this terrible circumstance that for, for most human beings, like your, your humanity, something of your humanity was taken from you. Mm-hmm. You lost a, like physically, mentally, emotionally, everything. You lost a part of yourself. And so you just went on this journey of, do I understand why I'm here? Do I understand what I'm doing? Okay, so I can do this. But it didn't stop with an Ironman. It didn't stop with these these physical um, achievements that you were engaging in. It just it continues to go. And there's something about the process that you've put yourself on throughout your life that has led to, I think, has led to this kind of presence. Yeah, and I feel like I've always been kind of more competitive. I've always grown up in sports, playing. I played everything, and really I found so much joy in like cheering other people on, you know, it's like, we just did a race. Was it last weekend? And that was like one of the best days of my life, you know? And it's like, again, I still suck at running after everything I've done, but like watching people do better than me, watching people do, it's just, it's so cool to see people do that, you know? And Watching my mother-in-law race, you know, I bought my dad a pair of shoes, you know, he always mentioned, so I can't imagine doing the stuff you do. I can't imagine it. It's like, you can do it. I can't imagine the stuff I do. I look at it and I'm like, how the hell did I do that? I don't know. And got him out there and did a 5K, you know, and it's like, that's what makes me happy is seeing other people do stuff they don't think they can. Which goes right back to what you were saying at the beginning. How do I make the world feel more comfortable and connected and wholesome? And that's all just connected. Somehow. <laughs> the the uh, anomaly of your presence, though, is worth celebrating. And I think for a lot of people who might look at you and go like, so what? what is in there? And to, to realize that... Your, the, the deep love that you have has come from deep pain. And I think that's what makes it more, more beautiful. Like it's this authentic, no, no, I'm, I'm not doing this because I have to. I'm not doing this because I'm trying to control you. 
I'm doing this because I have experienced the deep need for this love and I'm giving it away now. And I think it has helped inspire and affect a lot of people. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks. I, uh, I, there, there's one more, I don't know if this is something you want to get into, but um, I wonder if, not a great question for me to ask as a male, you mentioned how um, your surgery affected you deeply as a woman. Mm -hmm. And I imagine for the, the woman in the room and the women listening to this, that's, that's like a real thing that I don't know that I'm able to imagine. Um, did you want to say anything else about that or I'll leave that to you? I mean it was hard to explain that to my husband, you know, like what's right. wrong? What, what are you feeling? It's like, I, I don't know how to explain this. I don't know how to put it into words. I just feel weird. Mm -hmm. You know, I just don't feel myself and nobody likes that feeling. Um, I bless all you who are going through menopause, who have gone through menopause, anybody, God bless you. This is a terrible, terrible thing. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just a different, a different world. Yeah, I just think there's a chance that uh, us men may not. Quite and you'll understand. never understand it. That's the joy of us being all different, right? And I will accept. I, yes. I will accept my ignorance there. Mm -hmm. But I, I just think it's worth pointing out because it could be easy for someone to say, like, "What's the big deal? You had surgery." Right. Uh, no, 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 no. That's right. way bigger than that. And and you hit on that of. Now, this is about your identity. This is a mental thing as much as physical. Um, but I think it's worth giving that attention to. Um, is there anything else that you want to share? I feel like a lot of people will look at me now like, hey, I can see you still have boobs. You know, I can look at you right now and you still have boobs. You still look okay, you know. And right. it's like, yeah, I do. And that's great. And it, it's wonderful. Um, when I take off my shirt, it's a different story. When I do a push-up, it's a different story. When I do, you know, it's... Things that will be with me forever that are different for me yeah. to do. Um, and again, it's I would never change my decision for anything. Right. I would do it again tomorrow if I had to do it. I'm not ever going to regret that. Um, it was just something I wasn't ready for, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. But it came out a blessing. Yeah. Can I end with a few more interesting anecdotal questions? Uh, I, I do, there is still something mysterious about the, your being that I, I, I almost want to like solve this puzzle so that we can make everyone like Morgan Hudick. Uh, no. but there, there is something about, um, just how you interact with other people and relate to other people. You have this non-anxious presence about you where I, I, I imagine the people in the room were like, Oh no, when I'm, when I'm with you, I feel at home. And that's not something that most relationships experience. And if there's one thing that I wanted to try to like summarize, it would be, it would be that I feel like you found a way to be home with yourself. And so you're able to do that for other people, but it was deep pain yeah. and, and you went through that. And now you help other people through deep pain. 
especially the stuff that we're not so willing to, to bring out and talk about publicly. Well, and I think that's something that it's hard to talk about with everybody. And when you say I have this, you know, non-anxious, I had been anxious with my surgery. I had been yeah. anxious with what just recently happened with our family. And that's yeah. not me at all. And I feel like you feel lost and you feel, hmm. how do you feel like when you're not yourself? You know what I mean? And I, I'm confident with myself. I'm confident with how I feel and how I do everything. But when something like that hits you, it's, it's a blow. And that's hard to talk about. And I feel like, you know, you've said something about how I post stuff on Facebook and things like that. And oh, yeah. I, Your social media account is worth following. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I just feel like everybody knows there's so much fake. Everyone can seem happy. Everyone can seem like their marriage is amazing and their kids are the best kids and they don't do anything wrong. And my house is so clean and it looks perfect. And everybody here knows that's not true. So I try to make it either funny or something that let's be real about it. Real. Why yeah. not? Mm -hmm. You know, like everybody here knows I'm not even close to perfect. Everybody knows we have problems with our marriage. That's normal. If you don't, you're not normal. Right. So it's like, I just really try to connect with people on that. Let's be okay. That we're not okay. And perfect. Yeah, and I think that's what I mean by the non-anxious presence. Is you're never there's no ulterior motives with you. There's no pretending. And and I, I'm not saying you're the only one who has figured this out, but the best moments that I've had with people or that I experience are ones where it's like, hey, this is real. And this is good. And it's just being content with the messiness of life. And, and that's why I appreciate my friends because I feel like we can all be messes together. Yeah. And it's all just like, hey, accept it. And, you know, there's no hiding it. It's not like, okay, well, when I'm around this person, I have to pretend this or that, you know. And it's like one thing I've learned through my menopausal journey where people say, hey, the older you get, the more you don't really care about what you say. Anybody has. <laughs> I feel like that now, yeah. you know. And it's just like, you know what, I don't even care. Yeah. whatever you know and it's that's why i appreciate my good group of family because it's like nobody pretends anything you know and it's relaxing and i've got to talk to this lady about stuff like she just is so good at seeing the best in everyone and we mm -hmm. had a great talk you know my father-in-law my father-in-law and i was like we can we have this sense of like reading people right off the get go, mm -hmm. you know, and we would talk and it's like, there's just something I don't, I don't know. I just get this feeling. And she's like, I never get that feeling. You know, I just, I, she sees the best in everyone, which, which is amazing. Yeah. And it's just like, there's something that bugs me or there's something. And I don't know how to like interpret that, I guess, but it's just like, you realize who can be true in your life mm -hmm. and who you can, you know, let your guard down with. Which is that. the, it's the vulnerability conversation. Yeah. Like you're willing to go into that. And I think it's worth connecting that you've, you've experienced enough pain and darkness that why, why pretend that it's not there? 
And that's that whole reactive moving around versus proactive moving through. And it just feels like if we could just get more people to go like, hey, this is what it really is yeah. right here. I think we'd all actually experience more transformation. Yeah. And we've gone, Steph and I have gone through something together too. You know, it's, she was having some hurt and pain and stuff about well, well, a month ago. And, you know, I just text her and it's like, I feel bad. Like, how do you go into this where both people are hurting at the same time? Hmm. You know, it's like you both try to be there when you're both hurting. It's a weird thing. Yeah. But you get through it. But it's almost better with there's nothing to hide then. Right? Yep. All right. A couple questions. Ready? What would you wish you could tell yourself when you were 18? It's one thing you wish you could have told yourself back when you were 18. Buckle up, buttercup. <laughs> Isn't that the, that so true, though? Like, it's so terrible. It's like, just so hard. Life's so hard. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, just wait. Yep, just wait. Okay, <laughs> I absolutely agree with you. What do you think you'll wish you could tell yourself when you're 80? Like maybe s slow down, enjoy the moments mm. and the time. I'm not good at that. Really? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have guessed that about you. Because you're it's so. Always... Do you do you think maybe because you're so present with other people? Do you mean that maybe more in terms of yourself? Yeah. And what's right around you? Yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah. Just slow down and. I like that. I also, uh, we have different personalities, but um, a friend of mine once described me as I always look at the world through a telescope, and sometimes I should maybe put that down. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, I think I might be able to guess this one. What is normal in our culture that you think is insane? What do you have your guess? Uh, people being fake. Yes. Okay. I can agree with that. Um, on that terms, I think celebrity stuff is insane. I've always thought that. What do you mean celebrity stuff? Like people following celebrities. I just people feel do like that? that's insane. Yeah. I'm just kidding. It's like I want your autograph. I, I've just always thought that's weird. I, I definitely agree with you. I, I'm uh, like I just completely remove myself from that some, most yeah. of the time. I told Brent that. Imagine like you eating and somebody's just like in the bushes taking your picture. Like it's, I do, I'm eating a meal. But like it's I'm not, a human being eating a meal. Why are you trying to take my, that always is like yeah, weird to me. It's not new though. I mean, se since civilization's been around, we elevate certain people, maybe not even for good reason above others. And in our culture, it just has to be mostly the entertainment industry for most of world history. It was politicians. But what is the human tendency to do that? It's so weird to me. I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that more. I like that. Yeah. Okay. If you had 30 seconds to say one thing to every single person in the world, what would it be? You have 30 seconds. Jeez. I don't have a watch on. Here. 
Be a nice, nice human. I like it. Thank Give, you. Give uh, Morgan Hudick around. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and this interview. And I hope that you are as impacted by Morgan's story as I was while I was having this conversation with her. If nothing else, if we can take some of the things that we heard from her story and make them a part of our story, that that's a beautiful thing. If you're looking for more content, there's, there's tons of episodes going from philosophy to ethics to how to make changes in your life or conflict resolution. There's even a couple episodes on work and economics and why people shouldn't quit their day jobs, all sorts of stuff. And I write essays and that's all available at my website, tylerkleberger.com. But for now, again, thanks for joining us today. And I look forward to exploring the world more with you next time as we get into ecological ethics. See you then.